Well, too. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of new faces, people I haven't seen before in here. So I'm Michael. <laughs> I used to serve in the youth group with uh, my wife, Chelsea. Um, but we've been out since I started graduate school and haven't really had much time. Um, but I'm happy to come with you today and, uh, and talk about um, an important topic, I think. Um, I think Nick uh, maybe explained a little bit last week about what we would be talking about today. Um, so before jumping into the lesson, I just want to uh, put a few things up front. So Nick has given me the opportunity to talk to you on the topic of race. Um, and part of the reason he asked me to do this is obviously because I'm a grad student. Um, <laughs> Uh, another, <laughs> another part of the reason uh, is because I'm one of a handful of black members at Grace Church, and this is a conversation that Nick and I have been having, um, and I hope that uh, we would be able to, to have the conversation and to uh, listen today um, with uh, a heart toward really working uh, for something and, and toward uh, God, um, that it wouldn't just be... Uh, uh, a conversation that is controversial and that we're talking about because it's popular. Um, my heart for this time is that we would be able to think through this difficult topic through a biblical lens um, so that we can have fruitful action and take, um, or fruitful conversation and take action that is completely aligned with the heart of God uh, for his church and for the world. Um, I know that this conversation for many of us is uh, awkward, it's tense, um, it's uncomfortable. Um, I hope that we can have um, a light heart as we think about this together and not feel that tension. Hopefully the joke in the beginning helped to diffuse some of that. Um, but uh, at the same time, we are going to be talking about some difficult things, um, some, some aspects of our, our history that are, um, that are bad and that they are tense. And, um, and so there's a, a balance that needs to be struck there of like, there is some serious you know, stuff to discuss here, but I also want us as a church body to, to do it well and to do it um, with a heart of love for one another. So um, as I'm sure many of you all are aware, there's a conversation about race that's happening all around us. It's in the movies, it's in uh, the media, um, it's in t on TV, it's on, in sports, in politics, in memes that I'm sure you've seen on the internet. Um, I'm sure the conversation is happening in your classrooms, with your peers, maybe with teachers. Um, and the fact that it's such a popular conversation in the world um, among non-Christians might make it tempting to dismiss it um, in the church as, uh, you know, just another controversial topic that divides voters or something. Um, but I hope, uh, as I said before, that today's discussion will uh, help us to see that it's not first and foremost a political issue, although it does have political implications, and it's not just trendy um, although it is popular right now, um, but that it's actually something that God is intimately concerned about. Um, the church is actually uniquely qualified to lead this conversation rather than follow in it. Um, and so I, I pray that, that this will kind of help spark that. Um, over the past five months, the church uh, in the main service has been exploring the topic, the theme of life together um, in Christian fellowship. We've talked about Topics like fighting sin together and having the mind of Christ and working out our own salvation. Um, so I hope that we'll see how the pursuit of unified diversity is crucial for our life together in the body of Christ. Um, so this is called Breaking Down Racial Walls, Pursuing Unified Diversity at Grace Church. Let me pray um, and then we'll jump in. 
Father, Jesus prayed that we would be one just as you and he are one, and that together we would abide in you and in him so that the world would know that you sent him. He prayed that we would become perfectly one so that the world would know that you love your people. I pray that we would desire that same oneness today. Amen. So in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, uh, you can turn there if you want. Um, Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. I'll read these three verses. Paul says this about Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the context of this passage, um, or at least one aspect of the context of this passage, is that very early in the life of the, of the church, uh, so in the New Testament church um, in Acts, God revealed to Peter that the Gentiles were going to be included as full participants in the family of God, along with the Jews. God gave Peter a vision and sent him to, to a Gentile named Cornelius, who then received the Holy Spirit. And so it was proof that God had brought the Gentiles into his family. So naturally, Peter went to the crew, and he reported what happened. And uh, the problem was that Jews and Gentiles had, had a long history of division, right? So when he went to the, to the, uh, the other apostles and the, and the followers of Christ, they were, at first, a little taken aback. Um, their first reaction was criticism, um, that Peter had actually violated one of their cleanliness laws by eating with Gentiles, um, because that was a part of, of his meeting with Cornelius. So sh- things like sharing a meal together with Gentiles was off limits, um, according to the, the Jewish law. Um, so Peter had to explain that what God had revealed to him in his vision, combined with the experience of the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit, and so thereby God blessing the Gentiles and including them in participation in his family, Peter had to explain that God actually has lifted these laws, these, these things that divide Jews and Gentiles. He's given his spirit to the Gentiles in the same way that he'd given his spirit to the Jews. Now that story from Acts 10 is an illustration of what Paul is saying in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, the hostility that divided the Jews and Gentiles was removed so that they might experience unity and peace. It's part of the mystery of the gospel that is being revealed, was that actually Jews and Gentiles are grafted together. They're, they're, in, they're together in, in Christ. In this passage, the work of Christ that unites us with him automatically and necessarily unites us with one another. Um, it, there is no united, united with Christ that is not also united to each other in Christ. Um, even across ethnic and racial lines. So this Jew and Gentile thing was a, an ethnic division, right? The Jews were one people and the Gentiles was everybody else. Um, so the application here, so the, the passage helps us to think about the problem of, uh, of racism and racial division through a biblical theological lens, but it's not a direct analogy, right? There's not, it's not exactly the same as our present day situation with racism. 
Um, it's not that the Jews in the passage uh, represent one race in America um, and the Gentiles represent another race in America. In fact, most of us in here, I'm pretty sure, are Gentiles, right? Unless you were born, unless you were born into a Jewish family, um, you are a Gentile, technically. Um, so in this passage, we're all the Gentiles that were brought in. So exactly what, then, is the connection between uh, this passage and the problems of race and racism today? And how does that conversation relate at all to life together at Grace Church? Um, to get at answers for these questions, which are great questions, um, I think we need to look a little bit historically at the problem of racism and race, racial division um, a little bit more closely. Um, so I'm about to just like fly over almost 400 years of history super quick, and it's not gonna be super boring history, like, you know, uh, not, not super dry. I'm gonna fly over it uh, real quick. So if you could put up that picture. Um, ignore the title. Uh, just look at the dates and what the things are, um, and I'll explain it a little bit. I, this is a picture I found on the internet, so I don't know what PowerPoint presentation someone was doing, but um, the picture fits. Um, so, in the year uh, 1619, roughly, um, about 150 years before the Declaration of Independence, uh, so before America was like formally established as a country, um, the race-based form of slavery that we think about when we think about slavery today was, was what uh, it began in America, so about 1619. Um, this continued until the Civil War in 1861, um, which is in total about 250 years. Um, so that, that whole red section um, is, is what we're referring to. Uh, then the Emancipation Proclamation, you've heard these words before, uh, technically freed the slaves in 1863, but these attempts to transform the country and bring equality and all that uh, didn't, uh, didn't catch in the way that they wanted to. Um, so that, that green box there that's labeled Reconstruction, that's the period of time where they tried to, to fix the problem of, of slavery after the Emancipation Proclamation. They tried to bring the, the um, people together, give rights to everybody, all of that. But it didn't actually work. Um, it didn't work very well. Um, and so the southern states um, were able to kind of reinstitute um, more racist laws, and they were even able to have a major influence over the entire country. Um, so you've heard of the, the, the term Jim Crow racism. Uh, that's that's kind of what happened um, in that period. And that was almost another 100 years um, of, of that kind of legislation um, or those kinds of laws and rules. Um, it formally enforced racial segregation in southern states, but it also leaked over into the northern states in informal ways. So there was not um, like laws uh, per se against things like um, people sharing water fountains and things like that, but there was very much a part of the system um, and very informally um, promoted in the north as well. So this is the entire country at this point. Um, that was until about 1965, um, so I have a little bit different numbers than what they have up there, but um, 1965, so that means some of our parents were born during this time. Um, that's, how, that's how close um, this is. It's not super far away um, that these were when racist laws were still being enforced in the country. Um, so the 1950s, though, ushered in the Civil Rights Movement, uh, which you see there, that other green box. Um, and this is when African Americans in the country would fight for uh, equal rights and opportunities and treatment in, in America. 
And this continued technically until 1968, although you could claim, you could make the claim and argue it that this is still going on today, um, that the civil rights movement has kind of gone up and down through the present. Um, today, uh, just some statistics, uh, not just kind of general statistical information. Today, black Americans are still more likely to be unemployed, make less money at jobs, be killed, or go to prison than white Americans. Um, at a very, it's a very disproportionate rate. Um, in 2016, it was reported that on a scale of zero to 100, if zero represents complete integration, so black people and white people completely together mixed up, and 100 uh, representing complete segregation, so completely separate. Um, in 2016, it was reported that most of the country's large cities are between 50 and 70. So mostly segregated still, um, by more than half, like almost three quarters um, still segregated. <coughs> there are lots of other um, statistics I could throw out, um, which would just confuse most of us. Um, but there's a lot of statistics out there uh, to show that there's still a whole lot of segregation and inequality going on. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, uh, the argument is that a lot of this is because of personal sinful reasons, you know, like we have uh, individual responsibility. People have individual responsibility to change their situation, to work hard and climb out of poverty or, or get jobs or, or anything like that. But at the same time, it wouldn't make much sense to deny that almost 400 years of like systemic institutional racism doesn't have any part to play in the inequality that still exists, the segregation that still exists. It just makes sense that this amount of time would result in some residue, right? There's still some residue of, of inequality. So um, you can put that down, thanks. So that's like in the country as a whole. Um, we would expect that it's different in churches. We would expect that, that among God's people, it would be a completely different story. Um, but unfortunately, uh, this racist history um, of America has a lot of the time been driven by the church, actually. Um, it's been driven by Christians, um, Christians promoting it and reinforcing it, sometimes even with scripture. Um, and, and the division between black and white in America is actually most clear in America's churches. Um, it's been said that Sunday morning at 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour um, in the country. Um, <clears throat> Recent studies show that to this day, 95% of white Americans attend predominantly white churches and 90% of African Americans attend predominantly black churches. So churches are pretty split. Um, and this, hasn't, this reality has been pretty consistent since the days of slavery, like, like I pointed out there. Um, so the problem of racial division is actually uh, worse in the church than it is outside of the church, which is a sad reality. So what does all of that information mean? Um, when many people hear the word racism, they think of the most extreme examples. They think of slavery, of the Ku Klux Klan, or lynching. Um, we praise God that these things are, are no longer uh, the reality here in America. Um, we're incredibly thankful for the progress that has been made in that regard, that those things aren't, aren't daily fears and, and struggles. Um, but the problem of racism today is, um, is not as much about those extreme displays of hatred anymore. Um, the problem today has more to do with more deeply rooted, complex systems 
of inequality that are residue from this long history, four centuries worth of history. It's the leftovers of, of wide-scale institutional uh, nationwide racism. So in Ephesians, Paul tells us that Christ's atoning work has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. That means that Christ's death and his resurrection technically leveled the playing field for Jews and Gentiles. Um, Technically, nothing was unequal about Jews and Gentiles. They were both equally participants in the family of God. Theoretically, equality and justice had been established by, by Christ's work. But Paul goes further in that passage. He says that Christ's atoning work broke down the dividing wall by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. He had to abolish the law of commandments expressed in ordinances in order for this equality to be brought down to the ground level. So the technical equality, the theoretical equality that exists um, kind of invisibly, right, had to be confronted in real time. It had to be practiced and lived out. It was one thing to say that Jews and Gentiles are spiritually united to each other in Christ. It's another thing to say that that means that you need to stop thinking of the Gentiles as unclean and you actually need to share meals with them and sit at the same table and worship in the same communities. We need to eat and worship together. So Christ's work of atonement then confronted the entire worldview of, of the Jews. It confronted everything that they, they thought they knew about worship. Um, it, it got to them at the level of their deeply ingrained values and judgments. It confronted their systems in ways that would affect their thinking, their decision-making process, their economic practices, their day-to-day activities. It got all the way down deep. Um, and this is something that did not come easy. They had to work it out, and it came with a lot of argument and tension. Um, after the revelation to Peter, the, first, the, the church in that time would revisit issues related to this division um, time and time again, and it's in the scriptures. It's in the New Testament. In Acts 15, so a little bit later, the church held the Jerusalem Council, um, and there they debated whether or not Gentiles needed to become like the Jews in order to participate. Um, this was a, a conversation that kept popping up. They, they uh, wanted to know if the Gentiles needed to be circumcised. They needed to follow the, the eating laws about you know cleanness and uncleanness and all, all this stuff. It just kept popping up. Um, literally the same issue that Peter had already addressed um, from a revelation from God. Um, in fact, Peter speaks out at the council to remind the people gathered there that God has made no distinction between the Jews and Gentiles, so we cannot force them to make a distinction. Then the issue pops up again in the book of Galatians. Um, this time, though, it's Paul that has to confront Peter about his, his partial treatment. Um, Peter is, is acting hypocritically in Galatians, and he, uh, in his treatment of Jewish and, and Gentile Christians specifically, um, the same Peter who God originally revealed this truth to and who defended it at the Jerusalem Council, then turns around and, and you know, has, a, has a, um, a lapse in judgment, if you will, and, and he kind of reverts back to his old ways. So I give those examples just to show how difficult it is to overcome those ways of thinking, the, the ways of thinking that are so deeply ingrained in us and, and in the culture that we live in. It's hard to break out of those. Um, it's hard to think in a new way about these things. So fast forward to present day America. 
Look around schools, neighborhoods, um, even, even in this room. For many of you, I'm guessing that your schools and your neighborhoods look a lot like this room. Um, pretty one culture, maybe with a little bit of variance here and there. Um, systems of, uh, I'm sorry, America has almost 400 years of racism um, and racial division um, with all of its laws and ordinances that have contributed to communities that look very, uh, big word, homogenous. Homogenous means, you know, uh, one kind of person, one kind of people um, together. So in the same way that Christ's atoning work accomplished the unity of the Jews and the Gentiles, but that unity had to be put into practice at the ground level, at the dinner table in the church building, unity and equality between races in America is technically true in terms of the law and in terms of, of what, what is legal and what is uh, official, but needs to be put in practice at the ground level. There needs to be, um, these laws kind of need to come down to the ground. So, what now? To summarize that whole first part, um, racism still exists in America, and it still exists within the church. That's the big idea here. And before I move on, another thing needs to be said about about all that. Um, the goal of unified diversity at Grace Church and among all of God's churches is not exclusive to the black-white relationship um, and, the his and that history of racism in particular. I hope it's clear enough that this vision for unified diversity is one that includes all peoples of all ethnicities and cultures and colors and languages. The history that I've provided so far um, focuses on the black-white relationship in America for a couple of reasons, though. Um, the reason I focus there is because this particular history has been the longest and deepest dividing line in our country. Um, I don't say that to minimize the suffering that other cultures have experienced, um, that other um, peoples have, en have encountered in America, um, but just in terms of the history and the, the legacy here, the American black-white relationship has been the most contentious for the longest amount of time um, in, in the United States. And the second reason I focus on that, the black-white relationship in America, is because it's the dividing line that most significantly impacts our churches. Um, almost every major Protestant denomination, so Protestant as opposed to Roman Catholic, um, almost every major denomination, so like Baptist, Presbyterians, Methodists, all the different denominations, almost all of them have split down racial lines um, at some point or another in America's history which is a, a sad fact. Um, and what I mean by that, split down racial lines, is that at some point or another in the, in the history of that church or that denomination, some people wanted to maintain racism and racist laws, while other people wanted to pursue equality and, and justice in that way. Um, and so instead of working that out, they split into two versions of that denomination. And so those legacies would just continue. Um, so even though that the race issue today isn't so much splitting denominations anymore, there's still tons of segregation among our churches, right? So that's the residue of, of that racial situation. So all in all, multiculturalism, multicultural churches, churches with people of all, all ethnicities and colors and languages are the goal. That's the ultimate goal that we see even in Revelation 7, 9 through 12, People from every nation, all tribes, peoples, languages, worshiping together. That's the, that's the point. 
But in pursuit of that vision, we have to work to heal the divisions that exist between any two groups of people, right? Like, we can't all be together if two people in between are kind of fighting or at least separate or divided, right? We need to work to heal all of those, all of those, uh, those relationships before we can all come together or while we're all coming together. So the past and present reality of racism um, is a very tangible example of a dividing wall um, in our own country, in our own churches. Um, it's a, a wall of division between us. Most of the Christians I know, though, both black and white, do not want this reality of racism and segregation to continue. People don't want this. Um, most of the Christians I know agree that it's wrong, and they believe that Christ has called us to unity, um, and that racial unity and, and healing those bonds is a good thing, a thing to be pursued. But at the same time, um, many of them don't know what to do about it, um, or are unwilling to do the things that are necessary to pursue unified diversity. Um, Recently, at the Together for the Gospel conference, just a couple months ago, David Platt preached a sermon on this. Um, you should check that out if you haven't. A lot of what I'm saying today I get from him and from books that I've read on the topic, but David Platt um, preaches a great sermon on it. But in that sermon, he says, he says this. He says, The glory of Jesus Christ shines most clearly when different groups of people come together, and he's the only explanation for why they're together. That was the case for the Jews and Gentiles in the first century. Christ was the only reason that they could come together. I hope it will be the case for black and white American Christians in the 21st century. Um, this, is the, this is the hope that Christ has brought us together and has healed the, the division of, of racism that, that exists today. So what does this all mean for us, and how can we take some practical steps then toward that unified diversity at Grace Church? This kind of togetherness does not just happen. Time in and of itself is not enough to just make us come together. Time is neutral in that way. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't just happen that we're going to, at some point, heal all these divisions. Um, people who take action over the course of time um, are what heals these divisions and brings people together. So, so what, it is, what is it that we need to do? Just like so much of the Christian life requires discipline and practice and intentionality, um, we do this with our spiritual disciplines and with um, confession to one another and with worship weekly or more than weekly. Um, this also requires a kind of work. This requires uh, pursuing unified diversity requires effort and, and, and actual decisions. So for the rest of the time, I want to give six action steps um, for pursuing unified diversity and unpack them a little bit from the scriptures. Um, and these, once again, borrowed from other people. Um, I'm not this smart to come up with this stuff on my own. Um, but getting, getting different uh, things from, from people, uh, here are six action steps that we can take. So number one, if you're taking notes, pay attention to the realities of racism, inequality, and injustice. Simply pay attention. Look for it. It's there. If we're going to live into the reality that Christ has broken down the walls that divide us, then we need to pay attention to all of the ways that those walls still exist. I mentioned a few uh, like statistics and, and, and things earlier, um, but there are so many other ways that the nation's long history of racism continued to create 
walls and, and, uh, and perpetuate or uphold those walls. Part of undoing the legacy of racism is finding those walls and seeking to bring justice to them um, because of Christ. An important part of our worship of God is pursuing justice. This is all over the scriptures. In Amos 6, 21 through 24, God rebukes Israel for worshiping and giving offerings to him while at the same time ignoring the injustices all around them. He says he hates that kind of worship, the kind of worship where you can know that evil and unjust things are happening around you, but you're going to sit in church and give offerings and sacrifices and not do anything about that. God doesn't like that, um, he says in Amos. In Micah 6, 8, the prophet reminds Israel that what God requires is for his people to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. So doing justice, not just wanting justice or hoping that it happens. Doing it. You have to pursue it and actually take action. Um, This is what the church in the book of Acts does when they appoint seven deacons to go and meet the needs of widows who are being neglected in the, in the food distribution. An important part of that story um, is that the church was bringing justice to a, to a situation where women whose husbands had died were in danger of starving. This is a systemic issue that they, the church was addressing very practically. And then later in the book of James, God communicates to us that concern for orphans and widows is a necessary part of religion that is genuine. Um, If your religion is real, then it will look like caring for those around you who have needs. Um, And in this case, concern for the ways that systemic racism still affect people's lives um, on a day-to-day basis. So that was number one, paying attention. Number two, pursue diverse relationships in your daily life. Pursue diverse relationships in your daily life. Part of the reason it's difficult to pursue unified diversity as a church um, or in church is because so many of our individual relationships and friendships aren't diverse. Um, It's harder to talk to people that aren't like us. We gravitate to people who are like us. Um, Many of our neighborhoods and communities and schools and places of work are not very diverse. Um, That's due to the systemic segregation that has happened um, or that is still a residue of of racism. So that fact should do two things in our thinking. First, it should cause us to question why our communities are so segregated. Um, Why why is there not a lot of diversity in our schools or our jobs? What's the the reason for that? Um, And this goes back to the first point about paying attention Um, because you might be surprised to find out that it's not as simple as you know, some people don't want to live here or don't want to go to this school or don't want to work at this job, um, but they just want to do their thing elsewhere. Sometimes it's not that simple. Um, there actually, in many cases, is a long history of in- injustice underlying residential segregation. Um, second, the fact that uh, the places where we spend most of our time are not diverse. Um, remember I said it should do two things. The second thing is that it should help us to realize that we have to be intentional to pursue those relationships. We sometimes have to go out of our way um, to do that. Um, There is diversity, even among the segregation. There still is opportunity for making friendships with people who don't look like us. Um, 
it would have been it would have probably been the the easiest thing for the the first century church, the Jewish and Gentile Christians, to just worship among themselves. Have a Jewish church in the Jewish community, have a Gentile church in a Gentile community. That would have probably been the easiest. They would have had the same worship styles and eaten the same foods, and and they wouldn't have had to worry about it, right? Um, people would have gotten along with each other, and they wouldn't have to worry about all the challenges that come with bringing very different people together. But that was not the way God wanted it. He broke down the walls between them and brought them together in the same community despite their differences. So unified diversity is not going to happen unless we pursue diverse relationships in our daily lives. Number three, listen to and learn from one another. Listen to and learn from one another. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses the human body as an analogy for the church. The body of Christ is what he says. And he's making the point in that passage that everyone in the church has different roles to play in the life of the church. And just like the parts of the body, each of the parts benefits the other parts. Each of the parts benefits the whole. So verse 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. The different parts of the body of Christ need each other and are actually responsible for each other. Verse 26 in 1 Corinthians 12 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The reality of racism and inequality in this country have made this kind of togetherness a very difficult thing to do between people of different races. So I think we do that well in Grace Church. We do it really well, suffering together, rejoicing together. But in terms of God's body, the church as a whole, being able to do this with each other, especially across racial and ethnic lines, it's very difficult to do because we don't attend the same churches. We're not mixed up with one another. And second, because when we're in community together, we have a hard time listening to each other and really uh, knowing each other and, and listening well um, across those racial and ethnic lines. What if we applied the words of Colossians 3, 12 through 15 to the racial walls that continue to divide us? And Colossians says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. That requires a kind of humility, listening to one another and learning each other's needs so that we might meet them well. So number three was listen and learn from one another. Number four, lay aside our own preferences for each other. Lay aside our own preferences for one another. Pursuing unified diversity will require humility and self-sacrifice. Sometimes the things that continue to separate us from each other are just matters of preference. They're, they're not life and death. They're not make it or break it. They're just preferences, sometimes. 
But the Christian life and community is all about humility and sacrifice. It should be something that we're pretty used to by now. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. What would it look like to apply that to our racial division? What if we looked to the other's interest, um, and they looked to our interest, and we counted them more significant than us, whoever them and us are in this situation? 1 John three sixteen through 18 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Once again, how do we apply this across the racial lines that divide us? Number five. Use your gifts and positions of influence or power to bring justice. Use your gifts and positions of influence or power to bring justice. Think about your relationships, your commitments, your hobbies, in families, in friendships, in classrooms, in extracurricular activities, in your jobs, here in youth group, in sports ministry or the Quest program. Wherever you spend your time and your energy, and wherever you have influence and you can pr promote justice there, do it. This might not always mean pursuing justice in terms of the race issue. I'm not uh, limiting these, these um, suggestions to that, but I am applying it to that. So it, you can apply these principles to any issue of injustice or inequality that you want, but sometimes it will mean promoting justice in regards to racial issues. Sometimes our friends make racist jokes. What does it look like to promote justice in a situation like that, where your friend just says something that you know and you feel bad about, and you feel like, eh, I feel like I shouldn't say that, or I shouldn't laugh at that? What would it look like to pursue justice in that situation? Or you observe someone being treated unfairly, clearly because of their skin color. What does it look like to apply these principles there? there these are practical ways that you can live out the truth that because of Jesus, those walls don't have to divide us. So use your gifts and your influence um, and your positions of power or influence to pursue and promote justice. And number six, long for the day when justice will be perfect. Long for the day when justice will be perfect. The reality of this situation is that we live in a world that is marked by sin and the evils of racism and the ways that it has worked to divide us is just one example of the destructive power of sin. We have to hope and long and pray for the day that Christ will return to right all of these wrongs. You can remember the words of Psalm 33, 20 through 22. It says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So those are the six suggestions. I'll read through all of them one, one more time. Pay attention to the realities of racism, inequality, and injustice. 
Pursue diverse relationships in your daily life. Listen to and learn from one another. Lay aside your own preferences for one another. Use your gifts and positions of influence or power to bring justice. And long for the day when justice will be perfect. As a closing thought, I'm fully aware that this is not the kind of topic that can be completely addressed and unpacked and solved in one 30, 40-minute message. There's so much to unpack and learn and consider, and there's so much work to do in this area. But I hope that what this time has done is help us to become more aware of these issues and how we should be thinking about them biblically. It's a conversation that everyone is having, but in so many cases, people are not having well. I pray that this conversation would be marked by a quickness to listen a slowness to speak, and a slowness to get angry. If you have any questions about something that I said or I didn't say, or about these issues in general, I'd love to keep talking about it, um, and I encourage you to talk to each other about it. Um, we need to talk about these things in community. And finally, if you're looking to learn more about these things from Christian perspectives, I have resources that I can suggest uh, for you to check out. So I'll close. Father, I pray that our love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.